Hey, everybody, again, I'm Jeff. I'm one of the pastors. Uh, we are so delighted to share not only Thanksgiving weekend, but the beginning of Advent with you. Um, this is week one of our four weeks of Christmas time. We're doing the joy to the world. That's the theme that we're going to have the whole entire uh, Christmas season, joy to the world. That's going to be, we're going to be in that hymn because it speaks so much truth. We're going to look at the scriptures because this is what Christmas is about. It is this message that joy has come. We are not a romantic people, really, a liturgical people, a traditional people. We don't, just as a whole, our society, we don't do a lot of tradition, but man, do we do that at Christmas. Like your family has Christmas traditions, like when you realize, oh yeah, we don't really have many traditions, but you do when you start thinking about it, they kind of become the same thing. It's one of the only times in our life when we sort of do this, oh, this is what we do at Christmas. This is what we do. Because it's all about reminding us of the important things around Christmas. And so like our Christmas traditions, they, uh, they begin with, well, first of all, we have Christmas Eve as a church, as a, as a pastor kid family. So you're at church on Christmas Eve, so we kind of miss Christmas Eve because we come early and stay late. My kids would come early. They would run around with all their friends. They'd be church little rugrats, and they just grew up doing Christmas Eve at church, which is pretty sweet, actually, for them And when they look back on it. And then, and then when they got a little older and they're with their friends, you remember when we started meeting at 11 o'clock? Remember our 11 o'clock Christmas Eve gathering? Remember that? How many of you guys, if we did that again, would come? Right, that's why we're not doing it, because there's just seven of you. That's... <laughs> But our kids loved it because they would be up late and they'd be with their friends. And then eventually they would even like go to a friend's house after that. Oh, and then the, then the rest of the Christmas traditions would go this way. Grandma would buy donuts at oh dark 30. And so when the kids got up, we would have donuts in the morning, right? And then we'd have donuts and coffee. And right about the time we'd open a couple presents and right about that time, you know that time when you have too much coffee and you're in your sweats or you're in your pajamas and you've got your new sweatshirt that you got on and you've got your slippers on. You know that time when you kind of get that, that coffee sweaty thing that happens? You know what I'm talking about. Who gets the coffee sweats here? You know? Yeah. Just my family. It's a DNA thing. So yeah. And then we break and we have brunch where we get like waffles and fried eggs. That's a deal. I don't know what it is. It's just our Christmas traditions. We do, you have so many fun Christmas traditions. And then when you really start kind of going through the, you know, the list of those things, we go realize, oh man, singing the Christmas carols or coming to church or lighting the candle on Christmas Eve and singing Silent Night or pausing for that Advent candle and saying, another one is lit. More light, Jesus. We realize, oh, the reason we have these traditions and we kind of get romantic about it. We kind of get nostalgic about it is because it speaks about to the deepest things for us. Christmas touches the deepest places, all the rituals and traditions and symbols and activities and the carols. Like, wow. I mean, right? When you sing one of these carols and you think, wow, that's deep and rich. And we get in touch with the deepest places in our hearts and that is God with us the Savior coming to the world. And that truly is joy to the world. And so that's our theme. We're going to talk about the joy to the world. Isaac Watts wrote this hymn. You know Isaac Watts, right? If not, here's a reminder of the photo of Isaac Watts. That'll... You remember him? 
He was an English pastor and writer and uh, theologian, and, and he did all, he published all kinds of scientific papers. Either. He was just this brilliant human. He, he, uh, he was born in uh, 1674, so this is his era. And he, um, he was a brilliant human. The story goes when he wrote Joy to the World. When, that's why I'm bringing him up. Did I say that? And, and the story goes that he, um, was, he was learning Latin at four, he knew biblical Greek at nine. At 11, he learned French because his next door neighbors were refugees from France and he wanted to communicate the good news of Jesus to them. So at 11, he learned French so he could tell them about Jesus. At 13, he became um, uh, um, fluent in biblical Hebrew at 13 years old. This is the guy who, that, that wrote this hymn. And he was grumbling at the time about how the music of the church of his, he was a congregationalist, again, in England, and he was grumbling with his parents, apparently a lot, about how the music didn't really relate to him and that it was older music. This is like in the year 1700, right? And so he's like, yeah, we're, we're, we got old-fashioned music going on here. So his dad finally challenged him and said, well, why don't you do something about it? So he went to his room and he wrote his first hymn, first of 750 hymns that got published when he was 16 years old. He ended up writing also, um, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Do you know that? So he was a prolific writer and a brilliant uh, poet and theologian. And uh, he was an amazing, amazing person. His heart was for authentic worship in the church. I, I got to tell you this. I just wanted to tell you a few things about him. And then I realized, oh my gosh, this guy's awesome. I want to tell you a couple things about him. This is what he said. He wanted the church to be able to connect with God in really deep and rich ways because this good news about Jesus is the joy to the world. But he once said, this was his dissatisfaction with the dullness of the singing in his church. He once said, to see the dull indifference, the negligent and thoughtless air that sits upon the faces of a whole assembly while the song is even yet upon their lips, that might even tempt a charitable observer to suspect the fervency of their inward religion. <laughs> Not that we judge you or anything, but he's like looking out over his church going, do you guys not get it? This is amazing. So he wrote his hymns in a contemporary way, in a way for him to be able to uh, engage people in ways they could understand. I think that's really cool. In fact, you could almost say he was the father of contemporary worship music, Christian worship music, because he said, this is what he said about um, all the songs back then used to be just hymns and like Joy to the World, the hymn that we're, that we're singing that we're in this Advent, that, that's, it's rooted in Psalm 98 and Psalm 96, but, uh, but some other places in the scriptures. But he said, you know, we ought to translate this worship in a manner as we have reason to believe that David would have composed them if he had lived in our day. Isn't that great? What a great missional heart. He's like, oh no, we got to translate this in ways that work for our people so they get it because this is such great news. And I don't want people to miss it. So that's this guy, Isaac Watt. So the hymn, Joy to the World, that he wrote came out of that heart. And that text also came out of um, this, the Joy to the World uh, came out of the Bible. Well, let's look at the first uh, verse again of Joy to the World. Joy to the world, the Lord is here. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. 
Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Let every heart prepare him room for God has come to the earth and the whole world will sing. That is good news of great joy. And that's where it comes from. He was uh, inspired not only by those Psalms, but by Luke chapter two, which is the kind of the most detailed story of Jesus's birth. And I want you to look at that. That's our text for this morning. I want you to look at Luke chapter two in the Bibles that you have in front of you or on your device. I have a couple of verses on the screen, but I, I think what's, we, we need to read the, the, the whole text so that we, as, as a, again, as a, as a liturgy, as a tradition, that this text becomes so really special to us that God would send his son, that he would come in the flesh in the form of a baby. Luke chapter two, let's start in verse one. And I know you know this, you've heard this text because Linus did it, that which is one of the most important traditions is the Charlie Brown Christmas, am I right? Luke 2, 1, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in, in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. When they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. When she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. That will, be bring, that will cause great joy for all the people. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And then suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. That's the word of the Lord. Oh, what an incredible story. It's so pregnant with so much incredible meaning. That was not, I did not mean to make that pun. <laughs> but there it is. You see it in Luke 10. There is good news of great joy. You see, Christmas is such a meaningful season because it taps into our deepest longings for true and lasting joy. That's what's happening with all these traditions. That's what's happening with all the warm fuzzies. That's why something happens with you when you're sitting in front of the twinkling lights and listening to whatever Pandora station you have with whatever version of the songs that you love to sing. That's what happens when you sit with all, with all the mess and the wrapping paper on the ground afterward. That's what happens when you look across the table for, like you haven't looked at the people you love that way for a long time. That's what's happening, is that it's tapping into our longing for the lasting, true joy, because Christmas 
is the good news that we were made for and that every human soul longs for. This is why Christmas is so incredible. And so let's talk more about joy to the world. Let's parse that thought from our text and remind ourselves of both the reason for this joy and then how we can experience it this Christmas. So if you look at the text, you see the joy. It says that there's joy to the world. It's because, why? Because the Savior is here. The Savior has come. Joy to the world, the Savior is here. Verse 10, the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, here's the, great, the good news that will cause great joy. Today, a Savior has been born. He is the Christ. Wow, that blew their doors off. These shepherds keeping watch at night got this message from the angels that this is the Messiah. Christ has come to save us. That's what the joy to the world is because the Savior has come. We're being rescued from all of the human ills, from all of our sin, from all of our separation from God. We're being rescued. The Savior has come. We don't want to miss that in here, you guys. This is why Christmas pulls at us because everything we long, which was that for the brokenness to not be in control, for the world to not be this way forever, for our hearts to be united into a relationship with a perfect heavenly father, like that's what Christmas is about. And we're like, that is good news. That brings great joy. Christ has come. You think about when this message came. When Jesus was born, the people, God's people, the Israelites, they had been 400 years without hearing from their prophets, without God speaking, without any other revelation. There was this time of silence in the story that God was writing. Man, all the glories before of Abraham and Moses and David and the kings and all of the, and, and the temple being built, all of that good news. And then enemies had come and wiped out and dispersed the people and then 400 years of silence. And not only had there been silence, but there was the Roman occupation was brutally oppressing them. There was poverty on an unprecedented scale. And there was a, I mean, there was no pandemic, but it felt like it. They wondered if world would ever be what they had dreamt that it could be and what it ever, what, the, what they'd experienced in the past through all the stories of their previous generations. And so the, even their religion had turned to something that was so oppressive and difficult for them, which was a power struggle and legalism. And even those who longed for the good news of wanting to follow God wondered why God had gotten so quiet with the people who loved him. And in the midst of that, an angel shows up to shepherds, of course, to the least outside of town and goes, I bring you today good news that's going to cause great joy for all the people because today the Savior has come. That's why there's good news because the Messiah has arrived. The rescue has arrived. The hope of every human heart has arrived. I don't even know if all of you have walked long enough this spiritual journey where you're like, yeah, that's why Christmas means that much to me. 
It could be that you're just discovering, you're wondering, what is the, what is the hauntingly beautiful part of all of this ceremony and tradition? It's because you're longing for the Savior of the world to come. And I'm telling you, yeah, it's Jesus. And that is the good news. That's what causes such joy. So, Savior has come, and so peace has come. The Savior has come, and so peace has come to a weary world. You know, the, um, there's another uh, hymn, Christmas hymn, uh, O Holy Night. You know that hymn? Isn't that a hauntingly beautiful hymn? And, um, and I'm sure we'll sing that along the line somewhere. We at least sing it at Christmas Eve almost every year. But it taps into that longing of a weary world. Listen to this verse. O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. So fall on your knees. Hear the angels' voices. Is that not beautiful? The world is tired and broken and longing for the Savior to come and for the peace that he brings. This is why there's joy to the world. This is why Christmas is so significant to us. The Savior is here, and so peace has come. Peace on earth, it says in verse 14. Peace on those on whom his favor rests. I want you to look at that with me, verse 14. It's not on the, I don't have the text on the screen. But it's when, remember now that the, the, the there are shepherds out there, an angel shows up, he proclaims this incredible news. This is great joy. This is going to be good news. It's going to bring great joy for all the people. By the way, have you seen the prequel for the, the, the Chosen Christmas movie? The prequel for the Chosen Christmas movie is just this 20-minute clip from, this, from the, the uh, viewpoint of Joseph and Mary, and yet it has this idea of these people having longed for the Savior to come, and then it has shepherds out in the field, and then something crazy happens in the middle of the night, and I was so grateful that the producers of this thing didn't try to show the angel, to show the glory, to show the heavenly host, to, show, to hear the voice. How would you characterize the voice? I bring you good news of great joy. Like, they didn't do any of that. They just showed, like, this dramatic music and the light in the distance and people falling on their faces. I'm like, that's going to be for real. That's what would happen when an angel shows up in all that glory and then the heavenly host shows up and you don't hear them what the message is, but presumably they hear this message from Luke 2 which says, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people and they erupt into joy, these shepherds, and they go running through the outskirts of Bethlehem looking for this manger where there would be a baby lying and wrapped in cloths. It is an awesome scene and they are flipping out in joy because the Savior had come. It's so, so good. And he goes, and now because of that great joy, peace will come 
In verse 14, once the angel goes, this is going to be good news. It's going to blow your doors off. Then suddenly the great company of the heavenly host appears with the angel, praising God. That's verse 13. And saying, verse 14, glory to God in the highest heaven. Now, we don't miss this. This is the whole glory. like, Like heaven rips open. There's a whole legion or whatever of angels, of heavenly hosts. And they're saying, oh, up here in heaven is a crazy God party. Glory to God in the highest. What's happening up here is glory to God. In other words, this is his plan. This is what he wanted to do. This is why we worship him. This is what his heart is for us. And he goes, glory to God in the heavens. And then that that whole host goes, and on earth? On earth? Peace is going to finally come to this weary world. Peace to those on whom, what does the text say? You see in verse 14? On whom his favor rests. And so, there's joy to the world because the rescue has come. And so peace comes with that if we make room for that and let his favor rest on us. And so that's what we're going to be about this Christmas, you guys, is we're going to make room for him. Joy to the world. The Savior is here. Peace has come. Let us make room for him. Let that peace with God, peace with others, peace within, that every human being is striving for and looking for love in all the wrong places. Let's make room for the favor of God to rest on us. That's where the true joy comes. That is all good news if we make room for him. The words of the hymn that we sang that Isaac Watts wrote, Joy to the World. Remember that line? Let every heart prepare him room. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive its king. Let every heart, let every heart, Let every heart make room. Let every heart receive that. Let every heart engage with that truth. Joy to the world. The Savior's here. And so peace comes if we make room for him in our lives. So we're going to double down, church, on making room for him. We were designed for making room for him. I almost just like picked out of a, a hat, all, one of the many verses that talk about this is the biblical message. We were designed for him to be with us. This is Ephesians chapter 3. You know this from when we did this for a while as our benediction in church. Here's part of it, verse 16 and 17. I pray, Paul prays for the Ephesian church. He goes, I pray that out of his glorious riches, out of this generous Father in heaven, I pray that he may strengthen you with power. Say it with me. Through what? Through his spirit in your inner being. And then read all of verse 17 with me. Why? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He was The intention all along is that when the Savior would come, peace would come because we would accept him into our hearts, that his spirit would live within us, that there's a difference between being without God in our hearts and being with God in our hearts, and it makes all the difference because we were created to be filled with him. That's what becoming a Christian means. That's what saying yes to Jesus means. And so we invite his spirit to come and dwell in us. 
And that happens, that moment that changes everything, that we become Christians that day, that we've been reconciled to God, that he lives now present with us. That happens every day. And then in Advent, we celebrate week after week for the entire month to say, now let me be with him. Let me make him room. More and more light, more and more of the presence of Jesus in my life, more and more of what it is that I can um, experience through making room for Christ in my heart. This season of Advent is rehearsing the coming of Jesus. He came, he comes now, and he'll come again. And so do we anticipate his meeting us now? Do we open our hearts to him and our minds to him during Advent? It's ironic that the season that we rehearse these truths, that he came to be with us, that he came to be God with us, that we would make room from our hearts. It's ironic that when we rehearse that truth in this season, that season actually turned out to be the craziest and most stressed out time of our whole year. And I know that's a meme. Don't let the craziness of Christmas have you missed the reason for the season or whatever. That it is trite because we still haven't figured it out. And if I was the enemy, I would want to draw your hearts away from the beautiful message that the rescuer has come and he brings the shalom of God that you're longing for. So make room for him. Let's celebrate that. If I was the enemy, then I would distract you and have none of that during this month. Oh, church, let's double down together on making room for him. Let every heart prepare him room or we're going to miss the depth and the meaning and the joy of Christmas and really of life. He is called Emmanuel, God with us. How will you be with him? How will you be with him? How will you anticipate his presence being made known to you? You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a little example here. Can I grab this chair? Our friends, oh, you're gonna need this for later right here. This is for you for later. There you go, it's a free gift, okay. <laughs> the Jewish people had it tradition at their Passover Seder once a year celebrating the story of God's salvation where they would put an empty chair at the table or an empty cup but an empty chair it was Elijah's chair and the reason they would put a table out a chair out for Elijah woods or cup was that they would hope that one day maybe this year maybe this year as they celebrate the story of God's rescuing God's people Maybe this year, Elijah would show up and be present at their table. And the reason Elijah would be present at their table is that Elijah was the one in Jewish teaching that would herald the coming of the Messiah. He would be the savior, the rescuer that all of us long for. And so they would set the chair there and they'd say, perhaps this year, perhaps this year, Elijah would come, which means that we're the, the messianic age has begun. I love that thought. Because I wonder if we need to set a tear for Jesus preparing him room, that this would be symbolic of us saying, I'm going to expect that he will come and make himself known, that his presence would be here with me. I was reminded of and watched the second episode of The Chosen again, which is the one where Mary has just been healed of the demonic possession that she was uh, under, and she hosts a Sabbath meal. And she hosts this Sabbath meal. It's the first one she's done in years because she wasn't living the life of a righteous Jew before that at all. 
And she didn't even know how to do it. She was telling her friends, I don't know, I went to the market and I started watching how what everybody else was buying and I think I got all the right stuff. And so she went to her house and started preparing this Sabbath meal. It, was just a, it wasn't a Passover meal, it was just a Sabbath meal. And the Sabbath meal was celebrating, you know, the day of rest that was coming. And so all of a sudden people started knocking on her door and, you know, and she realized, well, wait, who are these people? And like, you know, there's a knock on the door and the dude's like, hey, uh, we're, I'm Thaddeus. I heard this was a good place to have have the Sabbath meal. And so it turns out Jesus told everybody, this is the place we're going to go, right? So all these guys come and she's like, okay, well, I don't know what I'm doing. So help me if I do the, the rituals wrong. And she goes, and so here's the, she says, and so here's the empty chair I have for Elijah. And they're all like, no, honey, that's just once a year at the Passover where we have the empty chair. But then there's a knock at the door and it's Jesus. The one who healed her. The savior has come. And he comes into the house, and of course, she has this chair anticipating the presence of the Messiah. Maybe that's what we do. Maybe that will be a metaphor for you as we prepare to give him room. I'm going to give you another quick thing to do together before I finish my sermon. You have in front of you Christmas ornaments. Everybody should have two Christmas ornaments and a big black pen. And if you're in the front row, somebody will get those for you. Let's just do this. As I'm asking the question, how will we prepare him room? Let's make two copies of a Christmas ornament. One you're going to put on the tree in the church here in a little bit. And the other one you're going to take home. And here's what you're going to do. Everybody's trying to figure out their ornaments. Ready? On one side of your ornament, you're going to write this prompt. Let me prepare him room by... And on the other side, you'll think about some things that might put you in that position to allow the presence of Jesus, the Savior, to unfold for you so that we don't miss it. You with us? Let me prepare him room by. What's one of the things that you might put in your life in order to not miss the presence of Jesus? We just brainstormed these Maybe one resonates with you slowing down, praying before you get out of bed, memorizing scripture, putting an empty chair at your table. That's what I'm going to do. I think I'm going to put an empty chair everywhere I go. I'm going to be, this is Jesus' chair. And I'm expecting him to come. I'm making room in my heart for him. Pausing three times a day, noting what you're grateful for. I would add, you know, maybe you need to fast from some stuff. Maybe you need to get off social media. Maybe that will make him room in your heart. Maybe you need to be done with TV. Maybe there's some other things for you. But just take a minute. On the one side, let me prepare him room by. And then on the other side, what's one thing that you could do that would posture yourself to receive the presence of Christ? And in just a minute, when you're done, whenever you're done, I want you to feel free to get up and take one of those and put them on one of the trees here in this room. Okay? Up here, up here, in the back, along the side, you'll see the ones from First Gathering. Those of you that are in the online community, you've got many of you have ornaments mailed to you. If not, tear out a piece of paper and make an ornament that you can put a hook on later and do the same thing for you for your tree. Let me prepare him room by what? What might you try that would prepare you for his presence? So just take a minute and do that when you're ready. Come put it on a tree, and then I'm going to call you back in a second and finish my sermon. Let me prepare him room. Isn't that a fun exercise to 
think about, yes, I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss the great joy, the peace of God that comes by making room for Jesus. How will we make room? Let's do that together. And as you're finishing up, listen, don't, don't miss this. It's what the world needs to see in you. The peace of God, the joy that comes. Overwhelmed by the fullness of Jesus in your midst. That's what the world needs from believers in Christ during Christmas. Because they're longing, they're feeling the haunting beauty of Christmas. Because their hearts long for a savior and the peace that comes. Let's show them that by how we live this year. So now, Christmas time is meaningful. It taps into our deepest longings for true and lasting joy. The text says, today I bring you good news of great joy. A Savior has come. Let every heart prepare him room. I'm going to end my time by giving you one other Christmas carol to hear. I'm going to read the words, the fourth verse of Little Town of Bethlehem, of all Christmas carols. Listen to the words. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. Oh, come to us. Abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. Come to us, Jesus. Abide with us. We make room in our hearts for you. Come, oh come, Emmanuel, which means God with us. Let's stand and sing that hymn together in worship. <laughs>